0: That's so awesome. It's easy to lose sight of what God has done in your life. Always take time to remember, to thank Him, and to look back. Satan really wants to cover up your trophy case, all right? Pull those trophies out, show them up to the Lord, and we want to be a grateful church, and we want to be grateful believers. Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, grab your Bibles and open up to the book of Numbers, chapter 20. The book of Numbers, chapter 20. The series is called Moses, A Story of Doubt and Deliverance. And we're about to finish it up. We've got a month left. We're entering into the final phase of Moses' life. Uh, And then we're going to start a new series in just about a month. And that new series is called... Sorry, I just totally blanked. I turned 40 this year and I'm having trouble with memory. So I wish I could tell you what the next series is, but I just can't. Maybe I'll remember next week. Show up and I'll let you know what we're studying next. But we're going to finish up Moses' life... And the ending of a story is so important, because often it doesn't matter what comes beforehand, uh, we will see the importance of ending well. The title of today's sermon is, Don't Strike the Rock. Don't Strike the Rock. Moses overall has lived one of the most epic lives in history. You can make a very strong case that next to the Lord Jesus, Moses is the second most Important, powerful, influential, and amazing character in the Bible. Moses has seen more of God's glory and might, more miracles. He has wielded more strength than everyone next to Jesus. And yet, in the end, he doesn't quite finish as well as he could. He fumbles on his game-ending drive. Thankfully, he doesn't lose his legacy or his faith or anything, but Because of a late inning error, he loses the privilege of going into the promised land. This is a cautionary tale for us. Because if Moses, the man of God, can can drop the ball in the end, we have to learn the discipline and the importance of finishing something well. Today, God is going to call us to finish life well. Every believer is going to have to make the choice, whenever your time comes, to finish life well, whether it's young or old. But this is also a call to finish any challenge in your life. Maybe you have a challenge right now in your life, or a person you're trying to deal with, or a problem you're... Finish it well. It doesn't matter how you started it. The the challenge today is to finish it well. Let's pray, and then we'll get into the Word together. Father, thank you for these stories of real people with real problems. Uh, In the Bible, we see people who... Maybe have lived amazing lives and we wish we could so be like them, but then we see them fail and we realize they are just like us. Teach us this lesson today, Jesus, about how we can finish well. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Okay, are you there in Numbers chapter 20, verse 1? Numbers chapter 20, verse 1. We're kind of going back in time a little bit. So we we did Balaam, we did Balak, right? That hasn't happened yet. So We're kind of going back so that we can see how Moses' story ends. Um, So here we are, just before the whole Balaam and Balak thing. Uh, The whole Korah thing has already happened. So there has been a terrible judgment because of that rebellion. But here we are in chapter 20. And the people of Israel, the whole congregation, came into the wilderness of Zin in the first month, and the people stayed in Kadesh. And Miriam died there and was buried there. Now, Miriam is Moses' sister. And she, what did she do when he was young? When he was a little baby floating in the water. She, she helped to save his life, right? Because the little princess pulled Moses up out of the water and she's like, oh, I, I can, uh, I can go get somebody to nurse him if you want. And so Moses loved his sister, even though she like, you know, sisters can be, made his life miserable at times. But she died. And what, wow, what, what a blow. What, what pain. I mean, his sister passes away. She was, she was like, probably 130 plus. Moses was 120, right? Aaron was maybe three years older than him, and you're like, how can people live that old? Oh, read in Genesis, and they lived a lot older than that, all right? So you think like today, we are the height of human health and wellness, and you think our habits and our world right now is healthier than it's ever been? All right, back then, things were a lot healthier, and God was blessing humanity, and things have changed. So it's possible It says here, now there was no water for the congregation. And they assembled themselves together against Moses and against Aaron. And the people quarreled with Moses and said, would that we had perished when our brothers perished before the Lord. Does this sound like history is repeating itself? No water, complaining people. Why have you brought the assembly of the Lord into this wilderness that we should die here, both we and our cattle? We're going to die. Why have you made us come up out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place? It is no place for grain or figs, figs or vines or pomegranates, and there's no water to drink. Now, this is a challenge against Moses and Aaron, but we've learned before it's also a challenge against God because God has promised to bring them safely into the land. And now they're worried God is not going to keep his promise. In the time of testing, they are faltering. Then Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the entrance of the tent of meeting and fell on their faces. Good move. Good move. Hey, do you have a need? Do you have a need? Do you have? Do you have a need for something in your life that you don't have yet? Have you fallen on your face in front of a holy God who can help you? Or are you just complaining and whining and worrying and worrying and worrying? Two in the morning you're up and your stomach hurts. Fall on your face and God will see you. And the glory of the Lord appeared to them. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, take the staff and assemble the congregation, you and Aaron, your brother, and tell the rock before their eyes to yield its water. Wow, history is really repeating itself, right? Like 38-ish years before this, the same thing happened. Rock, staff, water, and we're not talking a little stream. We're talking like the rocks burst forth on the side of the mountain, you know, like the Mississippi started flowing out of that thing. How do you give a million people water? All right, we're not talking like a little well. This is a lot of water that's about to come out. But he says something different. He says here, tell the rock before their eyes to yield its water. What did Moses have to do the first time? Right? Hit it. Change of plans. Now Moses just has to do what? Rock. Break. Just with his voice. You shall bring water out of the rock for them and give drink to the congregation and their cattle. And Moses took the staff from before the Lord as he commanded him. Pause there. The first thing we see here when it comes to ending well, write this down, number one, expect to be tested again. Expect to be tested. Write that down. Again. Again. It's happening again. When my daughter was younger, I like to tell this story. She was mean to her sister. And so we said, Ellie, why did you do that to your sister? She said, Satan, again. Again. Maybe that's how you feel. Moses is 120 years old. No water, complaining people. Again? Again? God, again? Another problem? I thought I was past all this. Listen, tests will come for the duration of your life. Your faith will be tested, especially when you're doing things right, especially when you are the one honoring God and behaving. Then the pain will come. Then the want will come. Then the need will come. And then other people will make it hard for you to stay on track to finish well. Uh, problems will come into your life, but God has a plan for your pain. He wants to use your problems to grow your faith and to teach you to trust Him. Last night we celebrated my dad's birthday at our house, and so I was at Target and I saw, I saw a new game that I had to have so that we could play it together as a family. It's called the Oregon Trail. How many of you have played the Oregon Trail growing up on the computer? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, They don't make games like this anymore, do they? Because the game is all about, like most of you, dying on the way to the west. And maybe you make it, maybe you don't. But I'd like to play a little round of Oregon Trail here with some of you. So I'm going to open up the box, and I'm going to pull out uh, the cards here that say Calamity. So, So here's the game, and the way it works is you're making your way out west, but every once in a while you have to pull a Calamity card, a Calamity card. All right? So who should I play with here? Uh, Dick Fox you're the best dressed man in the room go ahead and stand up and we're going to play a little round of Oregon Trail here so so I'm going to pull a calamity card for you and let's see how it tr- oh you have died of dysentery sorry about that <laughs> go ahead just lay down right there on the carpet and there you go Dennis Parney go ahead and stand up we're going to play a little round of Oregon Trail here okay I'm going to pull a little calamity card extreme cold the temperature is below freezing if you don't find clothing within one round, you will die of extreme cold. so good luck getting a winter coat uh, before the sermon is over. Have a seat there and, and Dennis, i'm rooting for you. I really am, and I hope you make it. Uh, what about Deb Schumann? Go ahead and stand up, Deb. Here we go. Uh, bad water uh oh <laughs> you you have to find uh, you have to find a card that cleans up your water, otherwise your oxen are going to die, and then your whole party's going to die so Good luck with that. Clean water, okay? By the end of the sermon, there you go. Uh, you can't leave though, because I'm preaching, so you're just s- stuck there. Um, and let's see, how about how about one more? Who else? Who else wants to play? Uh, we'll we'll have Mike Kiaski stand up. There we go. Our friend and elder and and missionary to Europe, Mike. You have broken your arm. <laughs> so very sorry for that. Go ahead and find a makeshift sling. And you can't write with your right hand while you take notes. So there you go. (laughs) So Oregon Trail is hilarious. And it's a game that's captured the hearts of so many. Primarily because of the problems that you can hit on your way out west. Now listen, I got to tell you, when you're going through this life, uh, the Lord will hand you calamity cards. He will hand you calamity cards. It's not because he's bad. It's not because he's mean. It's not because he's uh, bad at being God. It's because... Pain serves his purpose. So expect, maybe you have a card right now in your life and you don't like what's written on it. Expect to be tested again. Forty years these people are still moaning after the wilderness. Forty years these people are still doubting. They've been camping together as a country for 40 years. All right, just at your next family party, suggest that. Just say, hey, family, all of us, I've got an idea. I really think we should all go camping together. Oh, what? I don't, what? Bugs? Yeah. Hear me out. I think we should go camping together and let's make it for a full year. All of us together, the same campground. Do you think your family would like make it the year? And do you think you guys would be in a healthier place after the year? Wow. 40 years they've been camping together as a whole country. And now they're griping again. And so Moses is told to go to the rock with the staff, talk to the rock, and the water's going to come out. But he is ticked. He's not happy, and he's about to blow his top. Expect to be tested again. Reading on in verse 10, it says, Then Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock, and he said to them, Who's he talking to? Who's he supposed to be talking to? Rock. rock. But he's talking to the people. Oops. And he said to them, Hear now, you rebels. Shall we bring water for you out of this rock? Who's bringing water out of the rock? God. And Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock with his step twice. Bang! Bang! And water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank, and their livestock, and the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not believe in me to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. These are the waters of Meribah, where the people of Israel quarreled with the Lord, and through them he showed himself holy. Was Moses justified in his anger yeah, I think I think if I was there, and after forty years of moaning and groaning, and and I had a magic staff that could turn into a stake, a snake, I, I might like let it slip, out of my hand and go turn into a snake and bite a few people before I go and pick it up. I I definitely feel strongly about the moaning and the groaning of the people. But Moses did something he shouldn't have done. In his temper, he said things he shouldn't have said. And in his temper, he did something he shouldn't have done. Moses has had a lifelong battle with his temper. He killed a man in Egypt when he was 40. Killed a man. Killed him and buried him in the sand. That's a certain type of person. That's a certain type of temper. Moses frequently lashed out at his enemies. He did, most of the time in recorded biblical history, he did keep his anger under control most of the time. Most of the time, that's not good enough. It's not good enough. The Bible says he had hot anger toward Pharaoh after the ninth plague. When Moses came down and saw the rebellion of the people, he smashed the Ten Commandments on the ground. He didn't just get rid of the golden calf, he ground it down to dust and made the people drink it in their water. You see, this is a man who has had a temper problem. For his life. He has even lashed out at God. Why don't you just kill me? Why have you done this? And God has been patiently enduring Moses' temper. So here we have a picture of a man enduring a country and a God enduring a man and the country. But Moses at 120 still has not won this battle, and now it's about to cost him big time. Big time. Notice that it was other people's sins that drove him mad. Beware. Watch out. Watch out. Listen, when other people sin against you, that's going to tempt you to sin back. And often very good people who walk a good life and speak kindly and say their prayers and do their devotions give themselves a pass to sin when someone sins against them. Is that you? Well, I wouldn't have said that if they didn't say this first. Listen, if you let other people's sin drive you to sin, you're the same as them. And we learned when we looked through the teachings of Jesus, if you don't love your enemies, you will become your enemies. Whose sin around you is driving you to sin? What hall pass are you giving yourself to sin against a certain person? Or or if someone... Another big one that we see here is I've I've held my temper for so long and now they're going to get it. Listen, a track record of obedience does not give you a free pass to sin in the end, all right? And sadly, I talk to a lot of believers who are maturing in their faith and getting up there in years and, and sometimes when they narrate what's about to happen, they say things like this. Well, you know what? I've been I I've, I've been in the faith a long time and And then they start talking about how they're about to have less of a filter. I'm just going to start telling it like it is. That's not maturity. That's immaturity. And the older you get, the more righteous you should become. You shouldn't start busting through guardrail after guardrail of temptation as you age. In Proverbs 29.1, it says this, He who is often reproved yet stiffens his neck will suddenly be broken beyond healing. This is what happened to Moses. He struck the rock. Striking the rock has become proverbial now. Don't strike the rock. Don't don't strike the rock. It's become like a thing that everybody says, even if they don't know where it came from. And yes, in your life, striking the rock could mean you shout at your spouse or you punch somebody or whatever it is. But it it stands for this. It stands for you crashing through the last guardrail of restraint before you will endure lasting consequences for your sin. That's what it means to strike the rock. God's patience runs out. And, and And then you do it, and you lose the job, or you lose your spouse, or your child turns from you, or your finances plunge because you struck the rock. God's people have to learn this lesson. God will not save you from your own sin and foolishness. There will come a point where you have your last chance to control your temper or to control your drinking or to control your vocabulary, your last chance. And then there are sometimes permanent consequences in your life because you crashed through the last guardrail even though you knew better. Moses is about to have a permanent consequence from God because he blew it. What a warning to us. Moses isn't the first one. David spent a lifetime battling with deception. He was a great deceiver and a great liar, and finally it came back to haunt him, and he lied in the matter of Bathsheba when he killed Uriah, and it cost him two sons. Two sons he buried because he wouldn't get this sin under control. Noah apparently struggled with drinking every now and then, and his naked foolishness got into the Bible forever. If you get into the Bible, don't get drunk. Okay? You might want to write this down. If you get drunk, don't get naked. And if you get naked, don't let your kids find you, all right? Those big three that we learned from Noah's life. Uh, Judas would take a little here and a little there from Jesus' missionary fund, oops, and he got away with it, got away with it, got away with it, and then in the end, hung himself because he couldn't get his greed under control. Isaac played favorites with Jacob and Esau, didn't he? And then what did Jacob do? Jacob built the same favoritism into his family, and it almost cost Joseph his life. Favoritism, favoritism, favoritism. And God will allow these problems to rise up in your life. Abraham, my goodness, when he doubted, he made some huge blunders like allowing his wife to be taken in marriage to another man. The Pharaoh, she's not my wife. She's my sister. And then off she goes. My goodness. God has filled his word with cautionary tales of heroes of the Bible who have an area of sin that won't get under control. And then what happens? Galatians 6, 7 happens. We will reap what we sow. Listen, God can't be mocked. We will reap what we sow. Expect to be tested. And if you have an area of your life, a temptation that you keep losing and you keep stepping on that landmine, you keep falling in that hole, get it under control. Cry out to the Lord. Fall on your face. Number one, expect to be tested again number two listen carefully to god's commands so we're pulling these points out of the whole story moses didn't listen carefully he did hit the rock before and it was legal god told him to hit the rock the rock opened and he obeyed so what did moses do wrong some say some say that it wasn't really that he hit the rock it was his anger no it wasn't his anger his anger led to the problem but it wasn't it wasn't his anger that got him in big trouble Others say, well, God said he would be standing on the rock, and so the fact that Moses lifted his hand and hit the rock means that it was like Moses was hitting God. No, because if you read in the earlier account, God said the same thing, I'll be standing on the rock when Moses hit it the first time. So that doesn't make sense. It wasn't that. So what did Moses do wrong? Well, he spoke to the people instead of the rock, and he took credit for the miracle, and he failed to make this Event, the gracious provision that it was meant to be. Moses put himself and his hurt first and he hollered. He thought God's plan wasn't right and so he changed the plan to put these people in their place. But that's not what God called for. He didn't believe God knew what was best and so he took matters into his own hands. He didn't listen carefully, he didn't listen faithfully to God's plans. In James 1, 19 to 20, it does talk about anger. It says this. Go ahead and put that up on the screen. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear from the Lord. Slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. He violated this verse. He didn't listen. He did speak. You see here the importance of the Word of God in protecting you during times of temptation. Listen, quick to hear. Quick to hear. Well, what does God's word say about this? Quick to hear. Quick if you if you hold your ears to the commands of the Lord, la 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 la, and people are trying to tell you, hey, God's word says this, and you're slow to hear, and you're just getting all fumey, and you're getting you're getting furious, you're getting aggressive, you're getting critical, you're getting resentful because you feel disrespected, you feel provoked. You think God needs to teach people some lessons and you're outraged and you're seething and you're vindictive and you're crabby and you're cranky. Quick to listen, slow to anger. Quick to listen, slow to anger. That's God's plan for you. So Moses didn't listen. Moses neglected the centrality of God's commands. Moses thought it was judgment time. But here's the thing, God's job was vengeance, and God chose this to be an opportunity for mercy. Give him water. Give him water. Moses is like, oh, I'll give him more than that. I'll give him water and a shouting, right? Because he didn't trust God's plan was best. So ask yourself this, who is making your life hard? Who is difficult to get along with? Who is kindling your anger? Who's tempting you to cross over a barrier into sin? Listen, God's saying to you, quick to listen, slow to anger. Slow, slow. Well, how slow? Can I get angry on Friday? Uh, no, slow is God. Who have you shouted at recently or shouted about recently? Who, who in your life do you think needs to be taught a lesson? Now, I know you introverts think you're getting off the hook, right? Because I never shout. I never shout at anyone. Yeah, you have a way of striking the rock. Okay, you you have a way of striking the rock. You just get silent. Well, then maybe I won't talk to you for a week. You have a way of getting cold. Uh, oh, you're, you're striking the rock. You're just doing it quietly. In your heart, you're letting that person know how you feel about them, right? Know your own brand of temptation, but... Moses was losing the centrality of God's commands. He was not quick to listen. He also was losing his grip on the reliability of God's promises. The people weren't trusting God's promises, and now Moses wasn't trusting God's promises. We have to hold on to the centrality of God's commands. We have to hold on to the reliability of God's promises. It says here in verse 12, you did not believe in me to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel. So many, there are many descriptions throughout the Bible of what Moses did. He didn't honor the Lord. He didn't uphold him as holy. Uh, the people drove Moses to his temper. The Bible says a lot of things, but one of the things it says is you didn't believe. Now you might be like, well, did Moses not think just talking to the rock would do it so he had to hit it? I don't think that's what it meant. I think he knew water would come out. He didn't believe God's plan was best, so he changed the plan. That's what it means. And whenever you disobey God's word, it's because you don't believe his plan is best. Always. You think your plan is better. I like what F.B. Meyer said. F.B. Meyer said, disobedience and unbelief are two sides of the same coin. A coin of the devil's mintage. They who disobey do not believe, and they who do not believe disobey when you go into temptation you're turning a deaf ear to god's word it's because you think your plan is better you're driving on the train tracks with your ears covered and the music all the way up and a train is coming and you're not listening to the warnings to the train horn but it will end poorly hey is god convicting you about an area where you're not listening to him carefully is your conscience, you know conscience is like a smoke detector for the soul? It starts alerting you when you're about to do something wrong. Okay, and you can tamper with it, but is your, is your conscience going off? Um, somebody has once said that shame is an indicator of where you're going wrong. Are you ashamed of anything you're doing? Would you be ashamed to tell me about anything that's going on in your life right now? Uh, ashamed, shame. Somebody said shame is to the soul what pain is to the body. I've got I've got an ache I've got an ache all oh, my knee is aching I'm going to the doctor and he's going to tell me that I have a problem on the inside well shame does that for your soul I've got an ache something's not right God's pointing to something and are you listening carefully to God's commands is God convicting you of an area where you aren't listening to him number one expect to be tested everybody say again Number two, listen carefully to God's commands. Number three, remember how God judged sin and rewarded obedience. Remember, the sin of forgetting. We're looking back at the same story here and what does it say? It says, God tells them uh, in verse six, Moses went from the presence of the assembly, fell on their faces, the glory of the Lord appeared. The Lord spoke, verse eight, take the staff and assemble the congregation. Take the staff. Now, Moses holding Probably Aaron's staff, the rod that budded. It's got almonds on it, branches, flowers. Miraculous thing. Aaron's staff budded to show that God is uh, has anointed him as the high priest. Okay. So his staff now is different. And uh, Moses has a staff. Aaron has a staff. So when it comes to like which staff is being used, sometimes you can't tell. But it seems like it's Aaron's staff. Moses is holding a trophy. A trophy of power, a staff that turned into a snake in Pharaoh's presence and ate up the other snakes. A staff that oversaw the judgment on Korah's rebellion and a staff that stopped the plague. This is a powerful, powerful tool in remembrance. Um, It split the rock open before. But Moses was forgetting some things. What was he forgetting? He was forgetting that God judged sin and forgetting that God rewarded obedience. God says here that you you did not uphold me as holy. When you're going through a hard time, when you're facing a trial, God wants you to remember. He wants you to remember the pain that came from his judgment so that you don't slip, and he wants you to remember the promise, the blessings that came from his promises. Moses is holding in his hand a reminder of both. The awful, terrible judgments on Egypt... And the amazing blessing that comes when you honor the Lord. Aaron's staff had budded miraculously. Holiness means God is the highest authority on truth and grace in your life. Holiness means God is the highest authority on grace and truth in your life. When you uphold Him as holy, it means you show everyone around you that He is the highest authority on grace, meaning how to love, and the highest authority on truth, meaning how to judge. When you blow it, you're showing people the wrong way to love and the wrong way to judge. It's basically it, the two ways that we fall. And Moses forgot about God's holiness. Moses also forgot about the severity of God's judgment. They had spent 40 years in the wilderness. Why? Why? Because the spies came back and said what? They're scary. Too strong for us. We should turn around. And then they didn't go in, and God judged those guys right away. And then the generation, what did he say? Age 20 and up, you're dead. You will die in the wilderness just like you said your children would. Permanent. Now, 40 years have gone by. So get this. Moses is 120. There's no one alive other than Caleb and maybe a few family members and Aaron. There's no one alive over 60, 59 and under all right? So Mo, there's a generational gap here, okay? Moses is 120, and literally everyone in the country is half his age, or less. How would you feel if you walked out tomorrow, and in America, uh, everyone was half your age, and no one would listen to you? I knew your granddaddy. And I knew your daddy, and they were rebels, and you're a rebel too! <laughs> he just can't stand it. There's some generational problems here, okay? And Moses can't take it, but Moses is forgetting the judgment that fell on his own generation. And he was reminded of that. Moses also forgot who this was all about. So listen, when you're tempted, don't forget God's holiness. Don't forget the severity of God's judgment. Don't forget who this is all about. Must we bring you water? We? Me? If you're talking about me, why is this happening to me? No one treats me like that. Who does she think she is talking about? Me? There's a whole lot of me going on. A whole lot of me going on. Watch out. Watch out. He's talking a lot about himself. He's forgetting who this is all about. He's forgetting who's in charge. He's forgetting who's working the wonders. He's failing to trust himself into God's hands. 1 Peter 2.23 is a great verse about the Lord Jesus. Here's what it says. When Jesus was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Moses failed this. When he was reviled, when people rose up, Moses struck back. This tells of the Lord Jesus when he was on trial for his life, and he never did anything wrong, uh, but he was on trial, and he didn't strike back. He didn't strike the rock, and he stood before his accusers like a lamb before the shearers, and and he stood in Pilate's presence, and Pilate's like, don't you know I have the power to kill you? And Jesus is like, you'd have no authority if it weren't given you from above. Jesus lived the perfect life. He died on the cross. And he was thrown in the tomb, and he rose on the third day, and he triumphed over all evil, how? By not striking the rock. Jesus is the better Moses. Jesus is the one who didn't fail in the end. Moses forgot about the abundance of God's grace. God said it was grace time, give him water. Moses said it was truth time, give him judgment. Maybe that's you. Maybe when God's like, love them, you're like, love them? I'm going to slap him, right? Right? Maybe you struggle to love. Maybe you struggle to love after it's been a long time and a person is taking advantage of your kindness. When God says it's grace time, don't say it's truth time. And there's a whole other sermon for when God says it's truth time and you have to tell someone the truth about their sin and you're like, no, I'm just going to love them. Okay, another sermon. Okay. But today the sermon is when God says it's grace time, don't say it's truth time. Okay. He forgot the abundance of God's grace. And Moses didn't realize that very soon, this new generation, all these young whippersnappers, oh, they were going to pay dearly for their sin. They would learn some lessons the hard way very soon. Like 25,000 dying at a time. It wasn't time yet. He was giving this generation a chance to go through the water test. He was giving this generation a chance to go through the food test. And Moses was, was like, this, they're worthless rebels. Guess what? They went in. They went in. They passed the test ultimately, and they didn't even need Moses to do it. Moses was not seeing clearly. This generation would prove more worthy than their parents and grandparents. Number one, expect to be tested again. Number two, listen carefully to God's commands. You want to end well? Number three, remember how God judged sin and rewarded obedience. Number four, begin and end with strong faith in God. Begin and end with strong faith in God. What we see in this text is First, chapter 20, verse 1, the people of Israel, the whole congregation came into the wilderness of Zin for the first month. And they stayed in Kadesh. They were about to go into the promised land, for real. Okay. They were about to go into the promised land. This younger generation was facing the challenge of starting well. Would you start well? We're about to go in. Jericho's going to fall. Here's a test. Start well. And listen, let me talk to our high school students in the room listen listen let me talk to our college students in the room listen start well start well your parents aren't watching you've got a lot of free time on your hands finally i can get out from under all these rules my parents gave no start well pass the test when mommy isn't watching now okay uphold the lord as holy when dad isn't around and don't seek relief from the way of life that god has taught you about your whole life start well pastor mark and i are training to run the indianapolis marathon we should have added that to the prayer calendar you can write that in number 31 but runners will tell you that the biggest mistake people make is they don't start well they run too fast they don't start well. And then, and then in the end, they pay for it because I'm going to run my personal best. No, your hamstrings are going to blow out. And you're going to be crying at mile six. Start well. This generation, they, they have a little wobbly start. They actually get judged a few times, but then they get it together. And they go in and they conquer, okay? So this should be you. This is actually their role models to the generation that failed. And the older generation... They name generations today, have you heard that? So I'm Generation X, Gen X. If you were born between 65 and 80, raise your hand up. You're Gen X, just like me, between 65 and 80. We're a special people. (laughs) A chosen race, a royal priesthood. (laughs) I just read a book. The title alone is amazing. The book, it's written by a Wall Street Journal editor. The title is this, Zero Hour for Gen X. I was like, that sounds fun. And then the subheading is even better. How America's last adult generation can save America from millennials. (laughs) Millennials are born after 80, like what is it, 80 to 95. Gen X, if I could complain for a moment... We have the boomers, so here's us. We have the boomers who have like 10 million more than us, and then the millennials who have ten million more than us, so we're surrounded by giants, which makes us feel overlooked and misunderstood and in this and in this book and in this book, this guy hauls off and cracks the boomers. you've got to read it, and just talks about their dreams and how they ruin the country. And then he goes on to millennials and talks about how they're ruining the country. And then, of course, we, the saviors, are about to rescue it. I love this book. (laughs) I'm saying that because here you have Moses. There's like five people from, let's call them Gen E, like Gen Exodus, right? There's like five of them. And then there's like what? Gen W, those born in the wilderness. And there's like a million of them. And Moses is greatly outnumbered. And you can see how Gen E wasted a tremendous opportunity, gave into fear, died in the wilderness. Gen W, 59 and under, they were teenagers when they came out of Egypt. How much did they remember? of Sinai, if you were eight, maybe. Most of them had no memory of that. God was about to give them their own story. And listen, if you're younger, if you're high school, if you're college, listen, your generation has a responsibility to look back with clear eyes And how previous generations have messed things up. Okay, Don't blame them. Because your generation is going to make a mess too. Learn what they've done. Ask God to tell you how you can stand upright in your generation. And then ask God to do amazing things while you're in control of the planet for a fraction of a second. Remember. Begin and end with strong faith in God. Begin it. And now Moses is facing the challenge of ending well. So you got gen w facing the challenge of starting well and you've got gen e all five of them facing the challenge of ending well let me let me challenge you maybe you're a senior saint in the room maybe you've got less days ahead of you as you do behind you maybe you realize that you don't know how many years you have end with a strong faith in god moses is an example of what to do and what not to do he does die with honor And God honors him in amazing ways. But he fumbles. He fumbles on his game-ending drive, and it costs him big time. Don't fumble. Don't make last-inning errors in a game that you are winning, okay? Don't fumble. Finish well. Now is the... Are you aging well? Are you winning the same temptation again and again and again? Or are you slipping? Are you rusting? Are you losing? And... Well, I don't know how you envision dying, but when I think of, and Christians don't die, by the way. Jesus said, anyone who lives and believes in me will never die. We don't die. We blink. Okay, Then our faith becomes sight. And I imagine that as crossing the finish line to a cheering crowd. I imagine that as getting across the goal line and spiking the football and dancing. And and if you're not prepared for that moment when you're going to answer for everything, you won't end well. You won't end well. And Moses was struggling to end well. Expect, don't strike the rock, okay? Expect to be tested again. Listen carefully to God's commands. Remember how God judged sin and rewarded obedience. Begin and end with strong faith in God. Let's pray. Jesus, we believe that you know the number of days, all of them, before a single one is written in your book. You give everyone a certain allotment of time, and you want us to end well. We don't know when we'll end. We may have less than a year, we may have five decades. But I pray that you would help us to not strike the rock. Lord, I pray for those who are starting right now, may they start well. May they honor you from the beginning, and may they not have to learn things the hard way. I pray for those who are climbing up, Lord, in their maturity and their walk with you. May they end, may they settle it right now. I will end well. No matter what calamity card is given me, I will end well. And Father, for those who are perhaps tempted right now to strike the rock, to make a decision that will change their fate. that will alter their life, that will mar their soul. Or may they not do it. May they be attentive to your command. May they fear your judgment. May they believe your blessing. May they step back. May they fall on their face. May they cry out to you and may they see again your great blessing. Lord, we entrust our souls to you and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and let's sing together.